This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 193 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Georgia State is going bowling. We'll discuss the nail-biting road win over Louisiana that got them there and also preview hate week as the Panthers head to the borough to face that team down south in some Thursday night primetime football. Splitting the difference between our football postgame show and the weekly podcast, this will be one pod this week, and we'll return to the basketball arena and discuss this coming Sunday's exhibition game with Morehouse for GSU Men's Hoops on next week's show. So with that said, let's get into some football. Football headed down to Louisiana Lafayette to face the Ragin' Cajuns, emerging as 20-17 to 17 victors on ESPNU at Cajun Field on Saturday night. After scoreless first frame, the Panthers exploded for 20 straight points in the second to grab control of the game. Backup quarterback Michaeli Colasardo briefly stepped in for an injured Darren Granger and led the scoring drive for GSU's third touchdown of the quarter. The momentum slipped out of their hands and into Louisiana's when Colasardo was strip-sacked on the following drive and the Cajuns got a quick score to make it a 13-point deficit at the break. The offense never got its flow back even though Granger returned for the entirety of the second half and it was a nervy finish when Louisiana marched into the red zone down 20-17 in the final minute. But cornerback Gavin Pringle was the hero getting an interception in the end zone with 30 seconds left to seal the win and earn the Panthers' bowl eligibility for the fifth time in seven seasons under Sean Elliott. It also broke the program's offer they had against the Cajuns, winning for the first time in seven tries against them. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the Cajuns? I'd honestly had forgotten how down to the wire some of these losses to Louisiana had been. You know, even the first one when they went down to Lafayette in 2013 and they had running back Marcus Caffey, that was, a, I think it was a 31-27 game that they lost. Uh, sorry, that's 2014, not 2013, but the point remains. You had the Will Lutz fake punt that shouldn't have been in the Dome in 15. Uh, still managed to salvage a bowl that year, but that was a tough loss. And then you fast forward to 2020, the opener, quad round debut, overtime loss. In 2021, in Lafayette was the real similar kind of the way that it played out down the stretch where Louisiana in that instance got the touchdown to go up uh, and then Georgia State lost it 21-17. The point of which to say all of that is it almost felt like it had to be that type of win down the stretch. And I think it was a game where going into it, if you had said to Georgia State fans, it's going to be a 2017 game that you're going to pull out. It's a nail biter, but you'll get there. I think they would have taken that no matter what. Given how well they started and that it was a 20 nothing game and then things started to unravel a little bit, I don't think it played out in a way the Georgia State fans much enjoyed. But maybe all along, that's the way breaking that, you know, offer against Louisiana was going to have to be. Yeah, this series has been pretty funny. Um, uh, funnies might not be the right word, but this really did feel like it was going to be similar to that 2021 game, that 2020 game where Georgia State came out, you know, took the lead, played really well for a half, and then, you know, kind of let things slip slash the other good team that has been Louisiana over the last however many years was just going to be a good team that, you know, kind of gets their act together. Um, honestly, rewatching the game and just kind of thinking about it for the last couple of days, genuinely a hilarious football game. Um, and I say that from the standpoint of 
I mean, Georgia State started off decently, and then, you know, they had the fumble at the goal line, and then, you know, it was just, it was very back and forth, but, like, the back and forth of it, the swings were very large. You know, normally when you see a back and forth football game, it's very, like, okay, this team does something, then this team, no, 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 it was this team does a lot, and then they kind of don't do anything, and then this team does a lot, and then they kind of don't do anything, so... Truthfully, a hilarious game in a series that it's great that Georgia State has finally won one because they've been very close. And, you know, I got to start by saying I was wrong going into this one. It was like, you're going to give up some points. You're going to give up some yards. Chris is a really good quarterback. This is an explosive offense that averaged 35 plus a game coming in. And the defense played great, like capital G-R-E-A-T great. Uh, I think the game plan was really, really good from Chad Staggs where they were just going to make Zeon Chris beat them in the pocket and they were going to make those receivers make plays to win on the perimeter. And in the first half, it wasn't happening at all. The run game was getting handled up front. They were bottling up Chris in his trying to scramble. He got it loose a couple of times and converted on some plays, but kind of like facing Darren Granger, that's going to happen. Like, I think we saw the reverse of what happens with all the other schools are having to face Darren. And it's like, this must be infuriating every week when Darren is making these plays happen. So you did get a little bit of that, but they really didn't let him escape much until much later in the game. And that's why they were able to build the lead is because the defense really handled business, kept everything in front of them. You know, Louisiana on the night on third downs, were seven of 18. The average third down distance for Louisiana was 6.5. And they actually converted on a couple of long ones. They got a 13-yard conversion on third down on the final drive. They got a 10-yarder earlier in the game. Uh, Their first conversion was a third and nine that they got. Um, But in a lot of the other instances, Georgia State's defense won on first and second down, particularly up front against the run got them into those third and longs and started blitzing and throwing different looks at Chris. And it really, really affected him for a lot of the game. And then the rest of it was when things got a little bit dicey and when they started to stack some drives together, we saw it again, this top 10 FBS red zone defense came through, forced a missed field goal in the first half, forced another field goal on the first drive of the second half and got that stop at the end with Pringles interception. Let's start with the field goal there, because I think, you know, you said something either offline or on the podcast lately that the field goal luck is going to change. Goal luck. It hasn't <laughs> changed yet. There's, teams are still six of 12 kicking field goals against Georgia State in 2023. And I, I agree with you, because, yes, at some point it has to change if you, you know, look at the law of averages. But one thing I can't get my... I, I can't find a way to look at it. I'll have to like go through each game and maybe we'll bring it up next week, depending on how this week goes. But the play before the missed field goal is something that I feel like I've seen happen to Georgia State a ton this year, where it's it's kind of like second down and medium or second down and long. The uh, the opposing offense doesn't really do a lot. Um, and then it's third and long, third and short. They get sacked or they, you know, they kind of run the ball, they lose yardage. And then that's where they attempt the field goal from. And that's where they miss. Like, I feel like it's been on some of these missed field goals. Yeah. And Rhode Island had a penalty before their first, when the one clanged 
there was a false start before you actually, so they moved the field goal back five yards. So not exactly the same thing, but kind of the same field of like the other team had another thing go wrong to make the field goal harder. And my thing with the field goal luck thing is the second part of it is like that luck is going to turn around. But if you are going up against college kickers and they're the ones who the team is, the other team is counting on, you're going to win that luck might not turn around because college kickers are such a coin flip. It's not a consistent thing to make from the forties as a college kicker. Even though I think the one that Louisiana kickers miss was, was like if he had made it, it would have been like a, uh, I think 19 straight makes 18 straight makes something like that. So has been a reliable guy, but he's still a college, college kicker. And so if you're going to win in these red zone possessions and force field goals, like, yeah, maybe it's not going to stay 50% all year, but it, there is something too. like, that is why you want to get your defense off the field because they really aren't reliable. You, you, it's a dime a dozen when you find a guy that's going to make all those kicks all the time. Exactly. You know, and I think Georgia State is really kind of making that a pressure point and an emphasis where they really want to hammer home like, OK, teams might end up being down here. Fine. That's totally OK. They're not going to score, though, because we're going to you know turn up a blitz, you know, late in this in this uh, sequence or series, excuse me. Um, you know, we're going to play really good defense and get a tackle for a loss. If the, you know, they decide to run the ball effect, if they try to run the ball. So, you know, the actual kicking might flip, you know, maybe there's going to be a couple chip shots in the weeks to come, but I really think that there is something to be said about their ability to make the kicks harder for opposing kickers. And kind of flipping to the other field goal drive, which I thought was a really important moment. Like, obviously, defensively, offensively, whichever side of the ball, the Gavin Pringle interception to clinch it was the play of the game. But Louisiana gets that momentum at the first half, uh, get the touchdown right before the break. Jordan mentioned it. We will definitely uh, dive into all of that. Uh, but Louisiana gets that score to make it 20-7 to and then get the ball out of the break. And they put together a good drive. In the second half, they clearly they had some drops in the first half. They cleaned some of that stuff up. Chris got more comfortable. They found some of the quick and like rollout passing game stuff that was working for him. But again, it was a first and 10 at the 12 inside the red zone. And it was a drive that ended in the field goal because the defense bowed up. And that felt really important because, yeah, it got nervy later when another touchdown did make it a 20 to 17 game. And it was, you know, Cajuns are back within the possession. Cajuns can take the lead with a touchdown. But at that moment, it felt like at least you want a little bit of the momentum back. And, you know, that was ultimately, I think what the defense was able to do, it's what they've been able to do all season, kind of in a microcosm, because they gave up some plays in the second half, but they kept Louisiana enough in check and they made them run enough plays. And we said on the pod last week that, like, you had to make the quarterback experience matter. And, yeah, he missed on some throws in the first half, but I don't think Chris really made any mistakes. And he also made some really savvy you know, moves in the open field, reads against the defenders to get some big plays in, in the running game. But right there on that final play, that third and goal, where they could have still gotten the first down and gotten a field goal. Or if they get the touchdown, obviously they go up with under a minute to go. Georgia State is really up against it. But if he just throws it out of the back of the end zone there and doesn't force a throw they can still tie it on that fourth down where they are. And it's 2020. They've still got the momentum that still feels like a huge win for them. He 
had a guy open, but the throw wasn't good. And I think you probably got a little bit of a guy who really wanted to make the winning play, which you understand, but it was a bit of a freshman mistake. And it took until literally the final snap of the game for Louisiana's offense. And you got it. And that was the difference in the game. And it was a game where Georgia State, like you mentioned, was making him look like a freshman all game. Um, they, I mean, I think they did a really good job disguising coverages, and they just they just played really good defense. Honestly, every single defensive back for Georgia State um, on that played on defense and not you know was on special teams or anything like that, they all played incredible. That's not a shot. <laughs> You're laughing. That's not a shot. I'm just saying. Defensively, Georgia State was really good. You know, we'll talk about special teams yeah. eventually. And, and Brad Keese was out again. Isaiah, Isaiah Guy started at corner and then was out for a little bit. He came back in the game, but like you talked about it, Tony McRae forced into duty, the third string cornerback. He gets a pass breakup in the end zone. You know, there's another deep ball from Chris that was a little bit of an underthrow, but you know, DBs in that situation can panic and get grabby and get tackly. Ty G. Leach stands his ground looks back for the ball, bats it away, gets a big pass breakup on a play that, you know, maybe a better throw beats you, but you got the throw that you got and you still got to make a play in that situation. And instead of, you know, being a, a DPI to give him a first down or not defending it well and still giving up the catch anyway, especially for a safety, that's a play you love to see. You know, Gavin Pringle, obviously. We, <laughs> we know the play that he was able to make there at the end. Uh, Gavin Pringle made a play? Oh. <laughs> quietly and and maybe we knew this because i think we had thought mccray was maybe going to flash this year before we kind of knew exactly what gavin pringle was going to be quietly i think they've got some corner depth because it was still another game where isaiah guy didn't you know it, it has been three games since you have lost a starting corner and there's not been a single like game breaking play where you can point to up uh, backup cornerback made a mistake and yeah, he, other than the, the the punt block against uh, Marshall, which was on special teams, Guy hasn't made one of those like huge plays himself. But as a redshirt freshman kind of getting thrown into it there, I think he's done all you could ask for. And McRae also stepping up there feels like a pretty good situation. You, you got two seniors and you've still got a pretty long, important stretch of games to go. So I'm not looking at 2024 yet, but... Like, if you are trying to look further ahead in the future, you have seen glimpses of, like, if Pringle and Brown aren't back next year, and I will plead the ignorance on, like, the eligibility thing with the COVID year. I don't know who can come back. <laughs> I, 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 It all gets a little bit blurred, but if this is it for both of them, and maybe you make some ads in the portal again and try and make another home run splash like you did with Pringle, but the other guys there have really developed. And it's been key, like you said, like uh, obviously Brightquist, you know, hasn't dressed out in a couple of weeks, didn't dress out in this game, like you mentioned. And I, I feel like a lot of the quote unquote busted plays that Georgia State has had the last three weeks, a lot of them haven't been guys have gotten behind guys. It's been guys are just playing too deep and it's been too extremely deep and quarterbacks are just kind of working in front of them like the play. um 
on, I don't know who Chris threw it to, um, but there was a, I think it was the play on the touchdown drive, like to get them into goal to go. And it was literally just like the yeah, Jordan was, guy was in the end zone. Zones. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like that. Yes. That guy was open, but like, that's not a busted coverage, you know? And like, it turned into being a bigger play, like yardage wise, but you know, you don't fault a guy for just, you know, kind of keeping things in front of him and reading what the offense is giving him and reacting in that way. Um, so yeah, I agree with you that like the depth, especially especially with this, the way that we've seen the defenses at Georgia State go when they've lost some guys in the past couple of years, depth at the defensive back position has been severely lacking for Georgia State, and it's it's nice to have it. You know, I feel like we could sit here for the rest of the season and be like, okay, McCray guy. Those those guys are just going to be starters now. Fine, and and I'm not saying that you know it wouldn't be nice to have Brown back. It would be it wouldn't be a loss to lose Pringle, for example, um, because yes, there are probably teams on the schedule that can stress test how just truthfully how good those guys are. But in their and they've played some decent offenses the last couple of weeks, and they have absolutely risen to the occasion. And the other part of it uh, with this game, you're looking at it. They Louisiana led the Sun Belt in rushing coming in. I'm sure they still do. They ended up with 165 rushing yards. And I think you absolutely take that as a win. It's like we said, hold them under 200 and whatever you get down from there, you can live with. And a lot of it was Chris making stuff happen on his own, making guys miss. And it was frustrating plays. You know, he got a 13, exactly 13 yard run on third and 13 on that final drive where if he doesn't get a, mu- a bunch of yardage, you might be in another one of those exact same field goal range where the guy missed earlier in the game. So it's like, all right, you at least feel like maybe the field goal luck will continue another play. He broke off that 34 yarder on that same drive where uh, he finally, after some really adept blitz calling the, the O-line held up for them and he just busted it off. But those two plays kind of stand out as like the ones where they got something going in the running game. And part of this, I think the game plan that Louisiana had, you know, to do that, to work the time of possession to, as coach Elliott called it after the game, play big boy ball. I honestly think it lined up with some of Georgia state's defensive strengths. And I don't know that they would do it over because it's also what Louisiana does well. But the reason I say that is, more often than they had done for the last few weeks, Georgia State wasn't playing as much nickel. You know, Ronald Cooper was the only guy who played star this week, and he played less snaps than he had in a little while. You got a lot more times out there where it was two or three of the inside linebacker group. And it's four guys at inside linebacker who played the majority of those snaps. Uh, Justin Abraham, John Trey Hunter, Jordan Venzial, and Josiah Robinson, who I thought had his best game at Georgia State in this one. And it was just, it felt like it was the exact type of game that they wanted to play. And you saw those guys really just coming down, playing hard against the run, helping the front blow up some of these run block schemes and just not let Louisiana beat you the way that they wanted to beat you. And like it, it is like a, you just do what you do best and you want to beat the opponent at it. So I, again, I don't really think there's anything that Louisiana should feel they would want to do differently, just execute better. but. You know, looking at it now with hindsight, I don't know that we thought about it in much of terms of like, I think that they're ready for a game like that. Like they didn't hold them to 25 rushing yards, but they did enough. And I think it's because it's 
it was a style of game and a style that they wanted to, they weren't upset about going up against. And the only time it really got against them was when the offense was just doing nothing in the third quarter and they had the three and out, the three and out that they were on the field for a long time. And that's where Louisiana scored the 10 points right in quick succession. Yeah. You know, I mean, game, I don't even know if I have a term for it, but I guess game flow is what I want to say. You flip a couple of things for Georgia State, and I really think that the defensive numbers look even better. You know, if Marcus Carroll doesn't fumble on the, you know, the goal line right there, um, if they don't fumble and they actually get off a punt after, I think it was, I believe that was in the third quarter. Um, the, the end oh, of the second quarter. Sorry, yeah, end of the second quarter because Darren came back. Um, you know, if they get off a punt there, maybe Louisiana doesn't get those seven points right there. And it's a 27 to nothing game right there. Or, you know, God forbid, they still get a touchdown. It's it's weird to even think about that because, yeah, Georgia State did leave some points on the table there. We know that. Um, we know that with hindsight, but it's re- you're absolutely correct. The defense really gave up those two scores in the second half and that one score in the first half because the offense wasn't really doing anything and they had a short field and it just wasn't like the Marshall short field where they were able to force, you know, a long field goal, like a, a good team, you know, the best team at moving the football um, was able to move the football and get in the end zone. So, you know, and it's weird because the second quarter went so well for Georgia state. Um, and, you know, they only scored 20 points, but I, I felt in the second quarter, I was going to be like, man, this is going to be a banner offensive day. Like, you know, can't wait to talk about this. Like they're, they're running the ball effectively. They're passing great. Like they have been, you know, but it really was the defense that ended up being the star of the show. Yeah. And <laughs> Like my thought after that first half was it was, I think, one of the better, if not the best half that Georgia State had had, especially offensively. But it was also like the sloppiest half they've played all year. You had the fumble on the goal line on the opening drive. You had a missed extra point. Uh, You had the kind of unforced error on the strip sack fumble for McKeeley when he was in McKeeley. It should have been at least like 28-7 at the half. And Coach Elliott said after the game, he said 35-0. Like they felt like they were that good, but they got in their own way in ways that kept it a game. And especially, you know, that fumble to give Louisiana the momentum, I think is the one play they'd want to have back because like that second quarter, they never, they didn't get the flow from that opening drive back until the drive that kind of bridged the first quarter and the second quarter. There was a little bit there of more malaise finding it after the fumble drive, but then they got it and it was just mowing and they were just getting what they wanted. It was the stuff we've been seeing from this offense all year where it's like, all right, we got that matchup on the outside. We're going to hit that. We're going to spam it. We're going to get Tyleek the ball in space. We're going to just hand it off to Marcus Carroll a ton. And, you know, I don't think that there's, we haven't really spoke about the Darren Granger at all where he gets hurt they thought it might have been a fumble live. It ended up not being one, but he has to leave for the rest of the half. And at that point, you know, Georgia State had some, they haven't really lost a quarterback except in that one major game at ULM where it very much changed the trajectory of the 2019 season. But you could forgive Georgia State fans, even if it didn't look like it, like this wasn't a knee injury. It was going to be like a, he's out for the game and then you can see where he's at with the protocol. Um, wouldn't have necessarily been as long-term 
but I could understand any kind of like, here we go again, feelings and just things going disaster wrong. And don't get me wrong. That fumble play was not great, but it was a drive where you had your backup quarterback in and where I think the the defense would have known that it's like, all right, they're going to want to give us to their really good running back because they're not going to put the quarterback in these bad situations. And on a 10 play drive, nine of which McKeeley was the quarterback, Georgia State mowed down the field, even on the obvious run plays. Marcus Carroll is getting the ball and picking up yardage. McKaylee got the 10-yard gain on a third and five where they called a designed run for him, and then they did it again at the end zone for a three-yard score, his first rushing touchdown of his career. I mean, that was just a fun-as-hell drive just because it was like... It, it is the, the so-what, now-what drive. Like, it, it was a moment where you could understand a team is going to get you know, hit in the jaw and be like, oh, we lost our quarterback. It's the drive where if it happens last year in a game, like you're throwing a pick six or something. Like something in that exact moment is going wrong and flipping the momentum. And yeah, the, the fumble, which Coach Elliott said was a mistake. He shouldn't have called a pass play there. It's what I said live. I think we all agreed. It was just it, part of it's the team That's was good. averaging. I had too much under chip there. Well, it was it was four third and four they were averaging just under four yards a carry in the half. And Marcus Carroll's average was higher than that uh, because it was a sack of the intentional grounding for for Darren that drove those numbers down. And so it wasn't even just like hand the ball off surrender, like running the ball with Marcus Carroll was your best play in the first half. And if you get the first down there, maybe the drive doesn't go anywhere, but you can run some more clock out. And I think it is an entirely different second half. If it goes in 20 to nothing, Louisiana doesn't have really anything to hold on to. You did give it to him there, but it's a big difference between giving up that play there and going into half 20 to seven or having that play happen when you're up 13, nothing. It's a 13, seven game and your quarterback has lost all kind of confidence. You don't know when you're getting Darren back. So like it was a really important drive as it turned out because the scoring never came back after that drive for Georgia state. Uh, And it was kind of that one of those moments, you know, it just, it felt like, kind of another thing that's pointing to this team being different because we've seen situations like that really hurt Georgia state teams in the past, even good ones. And this was a, so what now, what let's just hand it off to 23, a bunch profit. And, you know, I don't want to lose sight of that fact um, because it really, it really has never gone like that for a Georgia state team ever. Like that ULM game was crushing like that Georgia state team was, they had, they were on a really nice streak. ULM was not a good team that year. They weren't like bad, but it wasn't a great team. Five and seven. Exactly. It was Caleb Evans at QB and he was making stuff happen. It, It would have been a game four quarters. Georgia state wins. I feel comfortable saying that. For sure. And like Georgia State was coming off like a four four game win streak, you know, like definitely headed into the teeth of Sunbelt play, feeling good, you know, winning the games that you felt like they should have won. Um, The Texas State game was annoying, but, you know, we don't have to talk about that. Um, But how many times have we seen a Georgia State team kind of lose something like this? Lose a that's lose this game, or you know, Georgia State knocks out an opposing player who, of importance on another team and still find a way to end up losing a game in which they were winning. It has it, you can absolutely tell that this team 
at least they believe that they are different. And to me, that's all that matters because they still found a way not only to continue to put up points with a backup in a backup who, you know, that has not. I mean, he hasn't seen the field in two years. He does not. He he played against UConn, but he hasn't seen the field meaningfully in that type situation ever. Exactly. And like, yes, the game plan was simple. (laughs) Hand it off to your horse. If you see the, you know, this is an RPO, but the pass is really you just ended up keeping the option, which is fine. Um, If you like your job is to run offense, but be smart. You know, you don't have to try to make plays and he still made plays, Like he still was able to move the ball and get in for an incredibly important score. Like that's, that's not something that we've seen Georgia state have happened to them. And the other part of it was that, I mean, the sideline, everyone's always hype after a touchdown, but if you go back and watch like the sideline reactions as McKaylee was coming back with the football after the touchdown, Everyone was so happy for him. He got that moment. Like definitely one of those you're rooting for the guy who has bided his time as the backup QB and he got a moment. And that might be like the moment for this year. Like by all accounts, Darren is back and fine and will be the quarterback going forward because he gives this team the best shot to win games. But still love seeing that for a guy who is sad as the backup for a few years when this era is anything but doing that, especially at the quarterback position. You love to see that perseverance pay off. And, you know, he was calm and cool at the wheels, took care of business. And the other part of that drive, and ultimately kind of the motor behind all of that success, is that the offensive line was just blocking their butts off on that drive. And all through that stretch, like they were just winning in the trenches as Georgia State put up 20 points there in the second quarter and took control of the game. And, you know, Darren came back and there was maybe one throw where I looked, I was like, hmm, that was a little bit of a weird throw. Um, But in the second half, there were some bad drops back to back. You had Robert had a a catchable, tough, but catchable uh, sideline catch that made it third and think eight. And then you had Ty Leak on that uh, play over the middle of the field. He absolutely should have had that one. And probably it's a less sweaty ending if he does bring that one in. Georgia State can milk a couple more minutes off the clock at least, um, but probably that might be a side relief moment. You're inside the 25-ish, and you're going to just hand it off and get there. But the other thing that flipped in the second half, and this is the credit to Louisiana, the offensive line got met more in the third and the fourth quarter. And that was, I think, maybe the biggest part of why uh, the offense sputtered. Like I think ultimately it's as simple as line play a lot of the time, and Georgia State's was really, really good in the first two quarters, especially in that second quarter. And Louisiana's uh, as a defense was better in the third and fourth quarter, and they were able to get those quick stops. And that was the moment where, like I said earlier, them putting these long drives together was a big thing for them because it was really complimentary football that got them back into the game. So you tip your cap there, I think. is yeah, And you take the the pluses that you saw from the run game and that little flow and Amon Green getting two touchdowns uh, with one of them being that super Aubrey Payne reminiscent touchdown down the seam on the third and goal of the 24. Uh, Georgia State was very good on third down, and part of that was because their third down average was a little over five. And if you take out the third and goal at the 24, which... I wasn't really sure how to measure up. Like I added it to my, my totals. I think that's how you're supposed to do it, but it is a real outlier. 
that ticked down to under four on average. And like that was the story there when they were putting up points is they were just getting, unlike the Louisiana offense, they were getting into the third manageables and third and shorts that they were looking for. And that was helping them stay on the field and put up those points. Is this where we talk special teams? <laughs> I, I can spare you one moment because I had another thing that I noticed. I had mentioned the Titan Ferris thing at right guard. He played more against Marshall. And I was like, hmm, this game he played majority of the snaps at right guard. He played 51 snaps. Trevor Timmons played 11. And so there's an or on the depth chart for this week. And uh, Timmons is still the guy who's listed first. But it feels a little bit like a changing of the guard there. Um, and Ferris was playing well, so I, I understand it. And it's like we said at the beginning of the year that you felt like you had some more offensive line depth to lean on that where if you lost a guy, or if you wanted to shuffle some guys around, it wasn't like you were putting in someone that you didn't think was ready. We were a little surprised that Ferris wasn't starting to begin with. And it feels like maybe he has started to take that right guard spot. All right, I have spared enough that we can't keep going on. Well, I guess if you have any thoughts on that, but that, that'll be the last thing before talking about the special teams. The offensive line has been a really nice stabilizing force. I, I really have not had a ton of issues with it this year. You know, I think that they've played some tougher D lines, but I, I mean, they kept both guys up this week. And yes, uh, Louisiana had a couple of sacks and, you know, that's going to happen. But it's not like guys were just getting beat off the spot. And, you know, Georgia State did have time to do kind of what they wanted to do, specifically in that second quarter when they were you know, kind of rolling. So I, they, they did a good job as a whole unit. So eight sacks given up in 2023, one of the better numbers in the Sun Belt. Last year, they gave up 35. Like the past pro has been just completely different worlds better this year. And it, I don't think it's necessarily coincidence, along with the, the strides that Darren has made as a thrower, that the passing game has been that much better also and really really becoming a weapon for this offense all right i think we put it off fully and truly now and it's unfortunate because i i feel like we want you see the punt block and you feel like everything's back on you got everything going but you miss an extra point uh, you give up a fake punt on the first drive of the second half um you give up kind of a long punt return that i mean Cade loggins make it making a nice tackle shout out to the punter getting on the action, but a uh, play should not have gotten to where the punter was needing to make that tackle that possibly saved a touchdown. Um, it was another down week for the special teams. And I even left a couple of things out there. They're a little bit more, a little bit more minor, but uh big ticket stuff that uh, it, from coach Elliott's post game got Rickman benched immediately. It was just, you missed that extra point, lack of concentration. Uh, we're going to let Isaac do these PATs from now on. Yeah, and I mean that was that was the one thing that I noticed pretty quickly. Um obviously couldn't tell that it was a benching until post game. I'm not surprised. Um just kind of given where given the game situation and how it could have mattered. Um I mean, look. <laughs> you kind of live by special teams, you die by special teams. When you want your special teams to be a little bit more aggressive, you know, it's kind of like cornerbacks who are cheating and trying to jump routes. Like, it's always great when you're getting those picks and, you know, you are getting these nice, lovely returns and, you know, running it back. But then when they miss, it's a little bit of, okay, well, why are they trying to do this? Why are they trying to be aggressive? So, 
I understand kind of the, you know, the back and forth of it with, you know, how it was both perceived and how they played. I mean, they, they didn't play well. It was funny. There was a broadcaster note on the punt before uh, the Louisiana punt before the drive with the fake punt. Um, the broadcaster was like, oh, Georgia State didn't put back a returner. You know, they are really, you know, guarding against a uh, fake punt. Um, and then I was like, well, I mean, yeah, they are guarding against the fake punt right here. But then a, a literally one drive later, when it made much more sense to perform a fake punt, Georgia State still did not defend the, pink, the fake punt well. Um, and it's 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 tough because one guy could have made a play and it wouldn't have been as bad a return. So it's it's hard for me to completely it say. It would have been a TFL. Exactly. <laughs> it would not have been a, a return at all. It would have been a maybe the game is over type play. It's it's hard for me to sit here and say that they they didn't defend it at all because I don't think that that is necessarily true or fair, but they still could have defended it better regardless of one guy missing an opportunity for a TFL. And I think that is the, that's kind of the, the issue, if you will, with the special teams this week, it's not that they were, it's not that they were terrible. It's not that they, you know, gave up a touchdown on a kickoff or, you know, there was a punt return for a touchdown, but just kind of like some of the other ways of the offense and the way that the team played, they just weren't as crisp as they probably could have been and should have been. And I think that in that lack of crispness, it allowed Louisiana to keep that door open just ever so slightly and give them opportunities that I don't think like the defense would have given them or the offense wouldn't have given them, you know? And I, and I think, I think it's frustrating because like I said, in the beginning of this, if you, if you have a special teams unit that is really good at, you know, getting good runbacks, you know, getting, you know, whenever your team is punting, guys aren't able to return it. You know, I got to shout out them downing the ball, I believe, at the three yard line. Like, you know, they had they and the touchback on the the last drive um, that Louisiana had. They were an inch away from downing it at the half yard line. So, you know, I think there was there was some good work by special teams. But it just it was not as crisp as it needed to be. And it really let Louisiana, like I said, keep that door open for a possibility in the game and clean that up, you know, make your extra points, be better on your kickoffs in terms of, you know, stopping returners and watch out for fake punts. And it looks better, you know, at the, at the end of the day, optics sometimes do matter with how you play and like they can play better. You A better team than Louisiana. I'm not saying Louisiana is bad. A better team than Louisiana can absolutely make you pay if you don't play clean football like that. So there and, and we didn't we like kind of talked about the fumbles, but we haven't like talked about turnovers in general. Same thing. Georgia State ended up not giving up points on that first Louisiana drive. A better team might cause you to give up points. Got to take care of the football. Or the same team can play that game 10 more times. Like, you couldn't bank on getting a stop there, per se. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think the the way I would say it is, like, I think we saw last week against Marshall, or, you know, two, whatever you want to say, two weeks, last week, whatever. Georgia State was slightly better than Marshall in the game, but really good on the margins. 
I think on the balance of the four quarters, the four quarters, Georgia State was a good bit better in this game, but pretty bad on the margins. And it ended up working out like you won a game where you let some mistakes keep the other team around when you could have put it to put it away a lot sooner. Um, but you didn't, but you still got the win. So I don't know what the lesson there is. And maybe it puts an excess on like, do you want to be in those situations again down the stretch? Um, but that was kind of my thing is like, you saw the, t- the two different types of wins you can have there with like, life is a lot easier and you win by 17 if you play well on the margins like you did against Marshall. Uh, but my thing on the punt is uh, the fake punt. There's been a fair amount of times where you've seen Coach Elliott go punt safe there and even leave the defense out on the field for that. And you don't have anything with the punt return. Like if you do that and there's no fake, then Jakari's just going to call a fair catch and you're going to have it where you have it. But I don't think the punt game has been that good. It's been better this year. You've gotten some returns there, especially on some short fields. I don't think it is so game-changing that it is worth kind of the risk reward there of trying to get a return anyway. And so like in that moment where it felt like a fake moment, like it felt like they needed to stay on the field. And it's so easy for us to say that into a microphone, not there on the sideline. I recognize that. Um, But it it was one of those, it felt like they weren't going to want to give the ball up thing. And you don't really lose anything there by sticking with safe. And we've seen them do it before. And so it was more of like a, you have played this hand well before. And I think, if they leave the defense out there or even maybe if they have the punt team come out, but they're in safe, you might see Louisiana burn a timeout or <laughs> signal wildly on the sidelines and be like, fix off, fix off. Don't do it. Don't do it. Or whatever works in that situation. And you might've avoided the whole thing. And I don't know if like a six yard return or whatever from Jakari would have been worth, um, especially in that situation where you're already up two scores. Uh, so it felt more like a coaching game strategies thing for me than just the player stuff. Like you'd like to make the play there, but you can live with that because, you know, guy made a play, whatever uh, you move on from it. Uh, like you say, like just generally, I think you will like your chance of winning all of these games. If you're playing more clean than it did in this one, but you, you got away with the win and how I let off with this was saying maybe it was the football gods all along, like making this a close game down the stretch. And you had to kind of get that web redemption of the drive back in 2021. And this time, Pringle gets the pick. Georgia State goes home happy. Yeah, you know, look, we can sit here all day and argue about the margins. Good teams, you know, obviously don't have to sit there and argue about that type of stuff, but they got the win. And that, that like, I, I don't want to say that's all that matters, but that does matter significantly. It would be a much shorter podcast if that was all we talked about, though. So we got to talk about the other stuff, too. But also, like, I was racking my brain. I don't know if George State has ever had a, like, single play defensive, like, interception, whatever, to end a game like that. There have been some late games where the defense has had to get a stop and they've done it. But I can't remember any play nearly as dramatic in that final minute type stuff. And part of that's Georgia state's a really young program still. And you don't have decades of experience to lean on as far as having those plays happen. But I was legitimately racking my brain after to try and come up with like the closest one. And I couldn't really think of one. And so, you know, 
part of following a program that's still, you know, I guess in its teenage years now, not its infancy, is you're going to be around for these moments that are firsts. And it's the thing Coach Ellie talks about with the team and that they talk about doing firsts. And I, I think Pringle kind of got the first walk-off turnover that George State's maybe ever had. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I was looking at a bunch of games that Georgia State has played to kind of see if there was a uh, a game similar to that Oregon-Washington game from, I think, two weeks ago. Um, I, I couldn't find anything. And in the like bit of research that I was doing, there was nothing that really stuck out to me that would have been in this vein either. Like every other game where it kind of came down to, you know, play good defense, it wasn't at the as close to the death as this was. Or, or they gave it up. <laughs> or yes, they did give it up. But obviously not the case this time. And, you know, Kind of, again, I don't want to just keep saying every time we talk about a game where one of the new transfers they brought in does well, but Gavin Pringle did in that moment what you signed Gavin Pringle to do and be that cornerback that was going to step up and make a play, especially with Brekkies out. And so, I mean, a moment for the Bucknell transfer, moment for this football team. All right, so let's go ahead and do our Sunbelt roundup of this past week's games. Uh, Thursday, we saw JMU defeat Marshall by a score of 20 to 9 up in West Virginia. JMU now ranked number 25 in the AP and coaches polls, respectively. Saturday, Georgia Southern hosted ULM and handed the Warhawks a 38 to 28 loss. Old Dominion hosted App State and beat the Mountaineers 28 to 21. And Coastal Carolina traveled to Jonesboro, Arkansas handed the Red Wolves a 27-17 loss, uh, but quarterback Grayson McCall carted off after a nasty hit during the game, uh, went to the hospital, got some treatment, is out now, but is doubtful to play against Marshall this week. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this slate of Sunbelt games this week? First off, I mean, absolute best you could hope for from a scary, scary moment. And I, I was not watching that game. Obviously, it was the same time as Georgia State, but at the same Almost, it was like within minutes or within like 20 minutes, you had Granger go down hurt with a head injury and then McCall. And that game got delayed for a good bit because they were getting the ambulance on for him. They, they were going through all the protocols they're supposed to. Thankfully, avoided the worst of it. Um, those moments where football goes out the window and you just worry about the person, but he's out of the hospital. And now it just turns into, you know, he's doubtful for football game. But that doesn't end up mattering at the end of the day. And the most important thing is he seems to be okay. Um, hard pivot out of very serious talk to just talking about Sunbelt football because that's what we do on this podcast. Um, it's JMU finally got there. And uh, I think that Sunbelt teams are... like It, it keeps... It's, another week goes by where it's like, yep, they're pretty scary. They're pretty good. And... Rasheen Ali was not available for Marshall. And when that news dropped right before the game, I was like, I think the herd are going to be in some trouble here. And they scored nine points and didn't look like they were threatening to score 10, you know? (laughs) It sucks because Marshall's defense played exceptionally well um, a week after I think they, they had three straight weeks where they played. They gave up 40 plus. Uh, Yeah. You know, they hadn't been doing great defensively, and they played extremely well against a good offense. 
and they just could not one keep what was his name jalen that's his last name i'm looking for it jalen uh, green. green yeah jalen green they he could not keep sacking probably upwards of 20 fbs teams by himself Seriously. I haven't looked at the number, but I'm sure he is outperforming sacks for a, over a handful of just full teams, full roster. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, I caught some of that game from the Apple store um, because, you know, we know they're pretty slow, but I just Marshall could not move the ball at all. Um, and even when they were able to kind of move the ball, they just could not get in the end zone until the very end there. Um, truthfully, an impressive performance by both defenses, honestly. You know, losing Ali for Marshall certainly sucks, but it's not... It, I don't know that he would have made the total difference. It would have certainly helped. He's a very good player. Of course. Um, elsewhere in the Sun Belt, oof, ULM is such a funny football team because they looked pretty bad early in that game. You know, went into halftime down. They couldn't hold on to the ball. They had a a fumble that led to a two-yard scoring drive for Georgia Southern, then a fumble that led to a 17-yard scoring drive for Georgia Southern, then an interception that led to a field goal drive, and then finally they got a touchdown to cut it to 17 and a half. But, like, they bungled that one away and had to really fight back. Seriously. And the fact that they ended up losing this game only by 10, given that, is truthfully impressive. Like, how do people consistently watch this football team be so close sometimes and so not other times? Thinking about Dusty, our guy, Warhawk Report, Fun Bell Podcast. Some tough, tough losses to take. And... I keep saying, like, as long as they play these close games, they're going to get someone, but they're running out of opportunities to do so. And having suffered through some, you know, Georgia State teams where, like, they were losing those games every time, it doesn't always turn around. Sometimes you just lose all of them. But it was certainly interesting. Georgia Southern did not pull away in this one. They were up 17 and a half, and it was down to three, and ULM had the ball. Um, They had some turnover issues of their own. And the offense did not score in the second half for Georgia Southern in that game. And so obviously we have more on them later, but certainly notable game. I think they probably were looking for a more comfortable, a game that they felt better about heading into this one in the short week. And I don't think they really got it. And so you know, take that for what it ends up being. Speaking of didn't get what they wanted. Uh, oh yeah, Pat let's State, do it. Uh, is in some trouble and the fans are unhappy and they lose by seven. They give up a touchdown in the final minute. Can't go down and get in the end zone. They got kind of close. I was monitoring this one on the second screen, even while Georgia State's game was going on. I think it was at halftime at that point. And yeah, I mean, ODU keeps doing this and I, I don't know that I'm upgrading them as far as like, I still have questions about their offense. And I think if they are not playing this game, unless they go to Huntington for some reason, and they can score a bunch and run a bunch up against Marshall and score 35. It feels like if you're, you're able to get some breathing room against them, you are going to be okay. They hit some explosives in the passing game, but if you get a lead on them and if you don't play like their house style, grind you down game, you'll be all right. But if you do, you're App State, you lose by seven on the road. You're Southern Miss, you lose by four at home. You're down 17 to them if you're Wake Forest and they're traveling up to Norfolk. So like, it is clearly kind of a team 
I think the Georgia State is a more talented team when you look at it and um, what they're able to do when they're playing well. I think that they're able to beat ODU, but ODU has a lot of the same kind of mojo working where like they, if you're in a, a close game with them, I think you got to start trusting the Monarchs to be the ones pull it out because they keep gritting these games out and they do it to App State. And <laughs> I don't think crisis mode is understated, like, or like overstating it. Like App is not feeling good about things right now with Sean Clark, the head coach. And this is this in the uh, coastal loss before it are really, really consequential back-to-back losses. And it it just doesn't feel like this app team is going to round it in the form that they keep doing and they have kept doing since they've joined this conference. And that's a weird feeling. Here is what is probably concerning app fans the most. Obviously, you know, we are three games into the conference slate, four games for some. Their app fans are looking at a last place Sunbelt East team, you know, fine. They're one and two in the Sunbelt and the two losses are to Coastal and Old Dominion. They still have to play in order. Southern Miss, Marshall, Georgia State in Atlanta, James Madison in Virginia. Harrisonburg. Harrisonburg, thank you. And they are hosting Georgia Southern in Rivalry Week. That's, I mean, like, tr- like truthfully, just being honest, if they, they went out and f- end up getting their goals that they want to achieve, hats off to them. They completely turned their season around. They have struggled to do a lot of the things that we have seen good apt state teams do this year. And I think that is an incredibly tough schedule to have to go against to try to do that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm on upset watch with Southern Miss. I mean, God bless Golden Eagles fans because. It's tough going right now down there in Mississippi, but that is an incredibly tough four game slate at the end of the season, given where all four of those teams are, you know, and I, I think like Marshall Marshall is close to a bull bid. They're four and three, you know, they still have to win two more games. Obviously, you know, it's not going to come easy for them, but it's certainly possible, especially if Grayson McCall doesn't play this weekend, you know, at the end of the year, they play Arkansas state, you know, obviously you can't count wins before you have them, but you know, Marshall should be in a good spot to, you know, get to six wins. You know, this is a Georgia state podcast. I don't need to rehash Georgia state. We already know about James Madison. And then the only other team on app state schedule is Georgia Southern. Like say what you want about Georgia Southern and the rivalry and all that, but that is at least a competent football team right now. That's not going to be an easy win for the Mountaineers if they continue to play like they have been these last couple of weeks. And they have the other opposite side of what OU's got, where they keep playing one score games and losing one score games. You know, they lose up in Wyoming despite probably being the better team over the balance of the whole game. They lost in overtime to North Carolina, which was a good performance, but you know lost another one score game. The only teams that have gotten distance on are FCS Gardner Webb and East Carolina and Boone. And even now them giving up 28 to that ECU team, that offense that looks really, really bad. Didn't score double digits against Charlotte lost that game at home this past weekend is not aging great either. And so it, I think that, and I'm part of this for sure. There's an expectation that it's going to flip like a switch. And even last year when it didn't go great, they still had that moment because against Georgia State and uh, what Wednesday night football, that happened. And they flipped the switch in that game and took it over. And it was like, all right, app's back. 
you're going to keep giving them the benefit of the doubt, but they are running out of runaway to turn that around. And like you say, November's schedule is doing them no favors on their track to do so. And and for them, they're already behind where they want to be because you're talking about, okay, they can make a bowl game. That's not their goal. Their goal is winning the Sun Belt. And to win the Sun Belt, like realistically, they need to win out and get some help. They're not out of it yet because two losses can still get you there. But they are right on the precipice. And even if they turn it around to six and six and they get to a bowl game, I think for the team, it'll mean a lot. But for the fans, they're still not going to be happy with that. And so, like I say, interesting times ahead up on the mountain for the Mountaineers. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily workshopping anything, but we you know, we might be having a conversation about that. that school later on this year. All right, and now on to the last bit of today's episode. It's Hate Week. Panthers travel to Georgia Southern, 7.30 p.m. Thursday night on ESPN2. The Eagles are 5-2 and 2-1 and two and one in Sunbelt play, fresh off of that win we talked about earlier over ULM. Clay Helton is now 11-9 through one and a half seasons in charge down in Statesboro. Georgia State, however, has owned the rivalry series overall, winning the last three editions to take a 6-3 lead all-time in state versus southern and the winner of this one will be in the driver's seat in the race for sunbelt east spot in the conference title game with jmu ineligible to compete in it so gentlemen thoughts on thursday's game i mean call it what it is this is the biggest stakes this rivalry game has ever been the closest second is georgia state goes up there in 20 goes down there in 2015 needing a win to go to a bowl game and obviously Great result for Georgia State, 34-7. A lot of fun. We were all there. That was a blast. Georgia Southern didn't have any skin in that game, though. And the the excuse from Southern fans is, you know, Willie Fritz was already talking to Tulane and they didn't practice that week, whatever, whatever. But, like, that is a big negative if you're trying to count up, like, what the stakes are. And there's been a mix since then of, like, okay, this team is pretty good this year, this other team, and it is not. And it's kind of tilted states way obviously in the last few years even last year you know they beat a georgia southern team that went to a bowl game this is winner of this game is in the best position to go to the championship game and it doesn't mean it's a lock and it doesn't mean that it's an eliminator game because you know if you're georgia state you're looking at it if they lose this one southern still has to go to san marcus and play an explosive texas state offense you know, I'm not even sure if they're favored in that one just because Texas State is also playing really well. Um, they may or may not be playing still to get bowl eligibility, which will mean an awful lot for them. So they'll be up for that home game. Uh, they still have to play App State, which I think that Southern is the better team than App State this year. But Southern beat them last year in kind of a just sour taste in your mouth fashion in overtime down in Statesboro. So App's going to want the revenge game. So, like, I don't need, think we need to talk about it. And, like, it is, like, a national title game type, like, where you win and you get it. But it will mean a lot for whoever wins this game as far as the rest of the season. And, obviously, Georgia State still plays James Madison, who we've talked about is a very scary prospect. So, if you want to look at that one and think you're going to lose to James Madison, if you lose this game... That's three losses in conference play right there. That probably takes you out of the Sunbelt East. And so the stakes are what the stakes are. And it's a first for this series. 
Yeah, it's kind of weird because, like you mentioned, this series has only seen stakes on a one-sided basis whenever it comes up. Um, it's very rare that you've got stakes where it's like, okay, these two teams are like legitimately fighting for something. And, and obviously, you want to win all of your conference games. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you know that has never been a, an aspect of it. But like th- because of James Madison's status. Effectively, this is a game that will set aside, you know, who truthfully is going to go to the Sun Belt Championship game. It might, it might not be the deciding game, but it, it certainly would go a long way to end up deciding that because we still don't know what Old Dominion is. You know, we still don't know if Coastal is going to round into form and we still don't know what App is going to do. This is one of those head to heads where, you know, I think. You know, we talked about it last week. Obviously, if Georgia State had lost to Louisiana, they would lose a tiebreaker with a team that they couldn't end up tying with and it mattered. But they won that game. This is a game where if you lose the tiebreaker to Georgia Southern, that absolutely matters. The rest of the Sunbelt games that Georgia State has are in the Eastern Division. I'm not saying they need to go you know, four and oh in them, but it goes, I mean, hey. to win the conference. <laughs> if you want to, that is going to give you your best shot. If you just win them all, just, just do it. That's true. You know, if you, if you win those four games, congratulations, you are hosting something. I don't know. I don't know what the tiebreakers are and it doesn't matter. I mean, we if it's Troy, then not hosting because yeah, I, I didn't think so. Head to head. So you'd be heading over to uh, Troy, Alabama. Right. But, as far as the actual football game, I think this football game specifically has the importance. It also has some really good strength on strength that I think makes it an even more intriguing football game than just, you know, oh, these two teams don't like each other. It's a rivalry game, you know, like as much as you know, we've talked about in our Sunbelt previews of this year, Georgia Southern can pass the ball pretty well. Yes, they make some mistakes. Obviously, you know, we've talked about those two. But Bryn has been a very good quarterback for Georgia Southern. And they are certainly up there in like, sorry, they lead the conference in passing. Like that is they that is how they move the ball. Essentially, they pass the ball. They pass the ever loving bleep out of the football. And I mean, no one is close to that many attempts per game. Like this is going to absolutely test Georgia State's secondary it's going to test their defensive line you know are they going to actually be able to get after the quarterback like it's going to be i don't want to say it's going to be a struggle because that's uh, that's probably not what i think but it is going to be a tough game for georgia state to continue to play as well as they have defensively i mean i think the obvious thing you do when you're trying to size up a team is you look at what a team who played well against them did to have success and the obvious example here is james madison they just played up in harrisonburg JMU ran away with that one, 41-13, and it honestly might not have been that close. Southern got a touchdown right at the end to make it the final margin. James Madison, they were fine with them passing it. I think they passed it 61 or 62 times when all was said and done, and George Southern ran like upwards of 80, 90 plays in that game. What they did is they kept everything in front of them. They let Southern get all the underneath stuff, came up and tackled, But most importantly, they got after Brynn in the pocket. And the thing that they have been able to do that has made them so dangerous is they can do it without blitzing a lot of the time. We talked about Jalen Green 
You also have James Carpenter up the middle, who if you get interior pressure, it's the worst thing for a quarterback to have to deal with. And so maybe a big Henry Bryant game to see if you get some internal pressure with the, without some blitzing. I think there is going to be blitzing because we've seen this Chad Staggs defense. They're going to have to work it and they're going to have to find those moments. But I think that is kind of where you're at. Is you're going to see maybe similar defenses to what you were seeing against Chris, but in a totally different context. Because if you let Bryn sit back there, it's not like Chris where it's like, is he going to make these throws? Like he'll make those easy stuff if you give it to him all game. But you've got to find a way playing those zones, not letting stuff get over the top of you. And then the guys up front have got to go to work and you've got to dial up some blitzes. And the one positive for you in this corner is that Bryn is not a mobile quarterback. He has negative rushing yards for the year because sacks count against rushing yards. And he just is not the type of athlete that you've seen in that way where you had, you know, even going back like Charlotte, um, UConn had a running quarterback. McCall has a little bit of that to his game. Fancher obviously had some movability Chris. So you finally end a streak where you're facing real running threats and that shouldn't be what gets you in this game. But you also got to make that count in terms of like, if you've got him dead rights, if you've got a guy who's coming unblocked on a blitz, they got to get home. And that's where you can maybe make your play where you force him into a bad throw or you affect the throw or you get a fumble. And so the the pass rush has been decent this year. I think it's going to have to be good to great in this game to force Bryn off schedule to make him maybe make some of these mistakes. Cause, cause he'll make them, you know, he's thrown double digit interceptions. He got a couple of fumbles. You know, if you're, you're sizing up these quarterbacks, I think you would say Darren's better when you look at everything, just because Darren has not been that loose with the football and he is, you know, completing a lot of passes and he's got that running threat. Um, but you are right to say that like Bryn can still beat you if you let him. And so, maybe this maybe is going to be the game where you going and getting a blitzing aggressive defensive coordinator rather than having Nate Fuquay, who definitely like to sit back in his base and kind of let things come to him. This might be a game where that shows for good for Georgia state. It's going to need to be, you know, and I think, I don't know. Brent is a very talented quarterback. I'm not going to say that he's not, but I don't know your thoughts on it. I really don't. I'm not worried necessarily that he's just going to sit here and pick apart Georgia State. Like, you know, they may score. I don't I don't think this is a, oh, they're not going to score. Georgia State's going to sh- shut them out comment. But I, I just I have faith that if Southern is moving the ball well on Georgia State, it's because they're earning it. They're not just, you know, busted coverage here, busted coverage there, where we've seen when Georgia State has played some better passing teams over the last couple of years, it's just guys being leaked out and, you know, you have 50-yard touchdowns over and over again. I I don't think that that is going to be how Georgia Southern wins this game. I think if Georgia Southern is going to win this game, it's going to be they're going to take what Georgia State gives them. They'll actually convert a field goal or two in the red zone and they'll be able to make like one defensive play on offense if if it comes to excuse me they'll be able to make one defensive play versus georgia state's offense and that's just kind of what it's going to come down to they've definitely got guys on the outside they've got a good receiver group um which is kind of the standout thing everyone goes to when talking about this clay helton total rebrand of the offense because I, that was, I think, the biggest worry people had is like, okay, you're completely switching off this run first option E, although they kind of ditched the option anyway before um, offense. Like, are you going to have the dudes on the outside? And the answer last year was clearly yes. 
and you know Caleb Hood's back, Derwin Burgess is back. They've got guys who can make plays in space, guys who can get separation in the passing game. Again, if Bryn has time in the pocket to find them, he will. And it'll be interesting. Bright Keys on the radio show before the Louisiana game, coach said, uh, I forget the wording off the top of my head right now. I'd have to pull up the quote, but it didn't sound like he was so far off. But when he was doing that pregame interview, probably the morning or the afternoon of the Louisiana game, it was like, I don't think he's going to play. But he's kind of been in that space where it's felt like he hasn't been like super far off. It's just been, he's not back to fully 100%. I do wonder if this was like one final, like don't play him this game because you got a short week and this is the game where you're really going to want your starting corners back. And so as soon as they're out for warmups at Paulson Stadium, me and Jordan will be there. I will certainly be keying in on seeing if five is dressed out and going through position drills because obviously if you can have both of your senior quarter cornerbacks ready to go, that will give you your best shot. As we said in Louisiana talk, like I think we feel pretty good if it's still Guy, and then if there's a moment where it has to be McCray, like they have played well. Uh, but I do wonder if this does line up to be the game where Brakeese is fully ready to go, and it lines up with the first opponent that you've faced since he went down. That it, it really feels like you might want him in this game, and like that they're going to try and beat you with the passing game in the way that Georgia Southern does. But having said all of that. Jalen White is a pretty underrated back, probably because it's in a pass-first offense and you don't talk about the running back as much, but he had a really good year last year and he's had a quiet year this year relative to that, but he is still, if you are keyed in so much on the pass, he can beat you on like a draw. And they've got one of those like super delayed draws in their playbook that like catches teams out and he'll pick up 10, 15 before the defense really realizes it's not a pass play. Um, You can't let that be what beat you also. Absolutely. You got to find a way to look at all of their offensive weapons and keep it in front of you. You have to find a way to make sure that guys keep contained, keep their assignments. Um, I'm sure this is going to be another one of those games where watching it, it's going to be some zone, you know, when they're doing their blitzing, when they're doing their coverages, you're going to see zone this week. Um, it's on Georgia State to make sure they're playing it effectively to force Bryn off of his spot and to, you know, make mistakes. But th- I mean, that's just how it's probably going to be won if you are the Panthers. They're going to have to make him beat him. They're going to have to make him beat him with his arm because that to me is their best strategy to win. You know, it's not going to necessarily be the super explosive, explosive plays. I think if you look at the amount of plays for Georgia Southern that were uh, long passing plays that are 40 yards or more. They've only had five this year. And this is a team that averages 300 some odd passing yards per game. You know, that isn't going to be how they're going to beat Georgia state. It's going to be a lot of, you know, intermediate chunk plays, the 10, the 20 yard plays. That'll be what you want to see out of them just over and over again, up and down the field. And, you know, the best way to combat that is going to be having to vary up your zone coverages, your zone blitzing schemes, and, you know, kind of go from there. Um, that, I mean, that's, that's truthfully the best strategy that they will employ. Um, and it's, it's interesting, you know, if I can flip to the offense, you look at the I was way that if you didn't. <laughs> Good. You look at the way that Georgia Southern has defended the run this year. They're right around Georgia State's um, place in terms of rushing yards per game. 
Um, I personally think that, that is a bit of a misnomer. The Citadel, I mean, we know what the type of offense they run in those FCS rinks. They had 198 rushing yards. Wisconsin, Big Ten team, you know, if you pay attention to Wisconsin football at all, all they do is, all they know how to do is produce beefy linemen, make a good tight end every couple of years, and run like they're running back. They're trying to change that, but this year they still have Braylon Allen. So in that game, they leaned on Braylon Allen and the backup whose name escapes me right now, Malusi, something like that. Exactly. You know, the teams that did not run the ball effectively against Georgia Southern, you have a bad UAB team, a not great Ball State team, and Monroe this past weekend. But, but UL Monroe was down 31 to 14 at the halftime. Game situation didn't necessarily dictate that they should be running the ball. Anyways, I'm not saying, and they still ran it 29 times. I'm not saying that it was effective. No, they had 26 yards on those 29 attempts. That's not good. But game situation got away from them a little bit, like some of these other games, anyways. Um, yeah, no, they were earlier, like really, really bad against the run last year, and that was their downfall as a team. That's why they lost enough of the games where they got six and six, got to a bowl game. That bit them in the game against Georgia State for sure. Um, I had the same note, but I used different numbers, so we didn't plan this, but that actually lined up really well. Um, the Wisconsin game, they gave up 207, which isn't a terrible number. Wisconsin, like you say, is going to do that type of thing, especially when they've got the power conference recruits advantage. It was 5.45 yards per carry. Coastal, they only gave up 166. Like That's a number you take, but it was 5.53 yards per carry. JMU, again, 125. That on its own, it looks like a great number. They gave up 5.43 yards per carry, and they did a lot of what Georgia state wants to do where they were like just taking what was there offensively, which I think is what Georgia state's going to want to do in this game in the same way to where I don't know if I really care about a number with the rushing, as long as that yards per carry number looks pretty good because they give up 250 through the air. Uh, they have nine interceptions in the defense. So you got to watch out. They're going to be ball hawking a little bit, but I think we've seen that this offense might just be like a pretty good pass attack. And so they might try and make the most of their stuff there more than we've seen from past Georgia state teams. And some of that's the talent they've got. Some of that that you've got a wide receiver coach at a offensive coordinator uh, who has introduced some new concepts to the passing game. Um, but I think the running game, you know, whether it's, you know, 200, whether it's 166, like what coastal got, like, if it's an effective running game and they're getting chunks at a time and they're keeping the offense on the field, I think that is the thing. And when you look at the games they played against those teams that have, you know, good coastal is not a great rushing team. So that number even looks like a little bit more alarm belly. If I were a Georgia Southern fan, just because you know, coastal was to their detriment, not been able to establish a run as well, but they did pretty well in that game. Uh, that looks like a possible opportunity. Whatever that means as far as numbers and touchdowns, we'll have to see it play out. But I think if we're talking about this game and it's a Georgia State win, I think it's very possible we are talking about like, oh yeah, no, Marcus Carroll had a great game. And quietly, despite those numbers Southern had had in past games, there was stuff there on the ground. It was, you know. And, you know, lastly, take care of the football. They... We're very good at taking advantage of Monroe turnovers last this past week in that game. Georgia State play a clean game with the football. I I don't 
I don't think that Georgia State is a bad team with the football, but the last couple of weeks, they've put it on the ground a, a couple of times in ways that you certainly do not want to see. Um, it's made sense. You know, we've talked through it. Take care of the football. That That's really it. Yeah, I just wrote down just dot, 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 play cleaner. That was my note there on the same thing. <laughs> and I think that it's the like, if this team does not turn the ball over in a game, because we know what the offense has done and we know that the defense has been good to great in a lot of these games. If it's a zero next in the turnover margin, I feel like it's going to be a win because this team has shown that when they aren't getting in their way and they're staying on schedule, the offense is going to put up points and the defense is not going to put you in a bad spot. And so you don't need to live or die at that. And I maybe winning against Louisiana while losing the turnover margin makes you feel better that if you do have one bad play here, or there, it's not going to burn you. But like that is one stat. I mean, obviously anyone would want to have zero turnovers in the game, but there have been Georgia state teams that if they didn't turn it over, they still weren't going to be that effective. You know, the offense was still going to be in its way. And really it was just stuff like that, that hurt them in the Louisiana game where they were moving the ball pretty well. And if they're able to move the ball here and not turn it over, not fumble at the goal line, you know, not have that strip sack type situation, they're going to be in pretty good shape. And that's what we saw when they put up 41 against Marshall, when they were putting up 41 against Charlotte. Um, it's what we've seen from this team. And so if they're able to fully get back to that, it's going to be a tough road environment. It's going to be a game with a lot of juice to it. And not even just because of the rivalry thing, just because of all we talked about with the stakes of this game. It's going to be a fun one. It really excited to be in the building for this one for the most important Sunbelt game Georgia State's ever played? Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a I counter to that. I think we're going to keep that. doing this bit every week if they keep winning. Like, every week we'll continue to further it going forward. But this is kind of a crossroads, like we said. It isn't an eliminator, but it'll mean an awful lot for whoever gets the win on Thursday. Ooh, I just thought of a very good question that I'm not going to ask you, but I'm, I'm going to save it for after this week because it's a very good question. That's a good tease. <laughs> well, it's an okay tease. It is going to hopefully come up a next pot and we'll, we'll, David will have a better tease for me there. All right. And that is all the time we have this week. Of course, can't let you get out of here without talking about everything that's happening in Georgia state sports this week. So starting Thursday, of course, uh, football at georgia southern 7 30 p.m in statesboro on espn2 and you can listen on wris fm 88.5 with dave cohen on the call additionally on thursday women's soccer host appalachian state at the gsu soccer complex at 6 p.m and you can catch that match on espn plus moving on to friday volleyball hosts southern miss in atlanta at 6 p.m and men's soccer hosts ucf at the gsu soccer complex at 7 and you can watch that match on espn plus moving on to saturday Women's cross country heads to the Sunbelt Conference Championship while volleyball hosts Southern Miss again in Atlanta at 1 p.m. That match on ESPN+. Moving on to Sunday, women's soccer heads to Foley, Alabama for the Sunbelt Conference Championships. And men's basketball hosts Morehouse in an exhibition game inside the Convocation Center at 2 p.m. You can listen to that game on WGTJ-FM 97.5. And then on Monday, women's golf travels down to Macon for the Mercer Invitational, where they will compete Monday and Tuesday. And then on Tuesday, men's soccer heads up to Conway, South Carolina to face Coastal Carolina at 7 p.m. 
And that is everything we have this week until the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. So get out there, support the Panthers, and we will catch you in the next one. Bye-bye.